listening to season two of Casting Light. I'm your host, Debbie. I am a life coach working with Guiding Light, and I'm here with Daniel. What's up? My name is Daniel. I'm a person in recovery from alcoholism, addiction, uh, IV drug use, all the all the really fun stuff. Um, and I'm also a life coach at Guiding Light. Went through the program a little over three years ago. So, yeah. What is Guiding Light? Why are we doing this? <laughs> so, Guiding Light... Guiding Light is a free program that is put on by the donors of the west west side of Michigan. Um, even though we're technically under the umbrella of what would be considered a mission, I think we're a little bit different than a lot of places like that. Why are we different? Uh, our marketing guy, his name's Doug. He's really crushing a lot of what he's doing. Uh, what we're different though is we don't take it's all donor funded, so we don't it's we we don't have to worry a lot about. Um, we're not charging insurances. We're not asking for money, some insanely high price for $600 a day so that a gentleman can come into treatment and have a chance at a different way of life. Um, if they can come in here and be honest with us and willing to work out a little bit, I think most of the times we're going to give them a chance. Yeah, I guess. So when you're, when you're asking the question, why are we doing this? Mm. Do you mean this guiding light or this yeah, the podcast. podcast right now why, <laughs> why okay. We... okay that makes right. more sense yeah. got it clarified question mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i think the podcast one of the biggest things that we really wanted to do is talk more conversationally and real about what happens here and what recovery really looks like um i have a background in social work and psychology um, a lot of the coaches in the program that work with them before they reach me, mm -hmm. they have a personal connection to recovery and addiction. So it's really cool the way that those get to marry together. And when you're talking about typical treatment programs, the it's very rigid and clinical. clinical. Thank you. It's very clinical and maybe doesn't always address some of the more personal aspects of it or some of the things like they might not get it you yeah. know in the same way that like you do I, I i think that another cool part about just the podcasting general is you have if you if you open up a pamphlet for any rehab you're going to hear the story of the person that beat all odds and is just like this place is the best ever and like it, it takes away like the it's like yeah I, I mean i bet that guy is is real but like yeah. I'm sorry. Life's not that great. Like life's not, life's definitely not that great in addiction. Life's also not that great in like right. it's better in recovery, but there's still challenges. Yeah. yeah. And to bring like the realness to a conversation instead of it being like, oh, so we're going to have, you know, uh, we're going to have acupuncture and then equine therapy. And then you're going to have a licensed therapist that has 15 PhDs come and talk to you for two hours. Mm -hmm. And here it's just like, Hey, like, are you willing to, to work out for three hours a week? Like that's, that's not even the biggest part of it. Like, it's just like, oh, it's like, here I am going through, uh, I'm just thinking specifically when I first came here, uh, here I am, I'm still going through DTs and I'm help and I'm out in the middle of, in, in the middle of winter cause I'm still sweating bullets and I'm, and helping move, uh, Christmas trees at the church <laughs> across the street. Just like, just like, what the hell did I just get myself into? Um, 
it's not and i've been to i've been to substance abuse treatment at yeah at for-profit or paid facilities as well and oh yeah um yeah there's i think it's also important that there is no financial incentive here to keep people here so i think that's why it works you know because it's um if you're not if i wasn't doing things right i was gonna get kicked out so and then god knows what would happen it's also not a there there's somewhat more of a line in the sand of like it's not like all right like if you want to leave you're going to leave and then you're going to come back in a month and then you're going to leave and then you're going to come back yeah. in a month and then you're going to leave like i i mean my my mom took out her 401k's to pay for some of my first rehabs wow mm. i know she loved me loves me she loves me <laughs> but you know and it comes to a place of all right well do you want to do something different but i think that that gets lost in the pamphlets that gets lost in the insurance agencies that also when someone calls another place they're like all right well we're going to need your insurance numbers then we're going to run run this and then we're going to run that and instead of having like you're going to call a person that's actually you're you're actually going to talk to that person when you get in the building and i think that's the relationship part that i think just gets lost a lot yeah well and it, it just becomes like when you're i've worked in mental health facilities before that were all insurance based right and you go in and it's like if it can't be evidence-based yeah. like studied for decades then it doesn't it, it can't work here and i think that's one thing that's different here at guiding light like if it if it's something that could be helpful like you know i mean playing pickleball seems like it wouldn't be helpful but it gets people out and about it gets helpful. people working together as a team it you know like there's helpful. a lot of things that <laughs> i know <laughs> Listen, I also love pickleball. I I have a great time. But I think that's like fun can be such a big part of recovery. And that gets lost in a lot of these clinical settings where it's all just based on treatment. And sometimes treatment looks like enjoying your actual life. Well, you know what I hated about getting sober was how boring it was. Yeah. (laughs) I talk about that so often with the guys here. It's, it's, It's monotonous. It's one foot in front of the other yeah. it's a grind a lot of the time yeah. it's not fireworks every day no no it's, well and that's to your point about the pamphlets they only talk about the yeah. the fireworks and they don't talk about the like unsexy part which is just like doing what you need to do and yeah. building but joy gets lost in that too i still have to fold my laundry when i get home today <laughs> yeah i actually put laundry i did my laundry today. last night <laughs> on on that point though especially with like relationships about laundry and, no well <laughs> So this is a plug for Dawn. <laughs> Dawn doesn't even do laundry soap, do they? No, this dish soap. It did. <laughs> Anyways. I think you were thinking of Downey. Da- yes. But on the relationship piece, especially like, all right, so great. You know, come into a program, move on with your life. Like, you know, you succeed, you move through the phases and all that yeah. other stuff. Like, then what? Yeah, And right. I think that like the community that I built here. Mm. Now, my... You can get sober wherever you go if you want to get sober bad enough. Like you can, you can, yeah. you can get so you can, you can get clean in a crack house if you want to get clean, right? And you and you like do the things that are needed. Yeah. But like when you stack the cards in your favor and have the people around you, and like it's, I got to experience all the crappy things and all the great mm-hmm. things with people around me. Like I've I've got to be, and we're talking about earlier, like like I'm basically a twenty year old in a thirty year old's yeah, body. I'm not even twenty. I think I'm, You're at se- least 18, I think I'm right? 17 now, now. I still get really excited about dinosaurs on t-shirts. So, yeah. I watch I watch <laughs> what? Dinosaurs First on off, t-shirts. Yeah. I watch favorite. space shows at night to go to bed and they're like <laughs> way they're no 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 no. 
they're way above my knowledge of space. Like they're like ex- Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, 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 no. PBS Space Time. They do a great oh, job. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what I'm talking okay. about. But they're, they're, they're like super complex. But like I can just sit there and be like, wow, that's crazy. Like I get to enjoy that. What I used to enjoy was shooting dope and taking my pants off. Mm. Like that was my mm-hmm. jam. Mm-hmm. And now I don't. Yeah. <laughs> now you enjoy space time. Now I enjoy space time. But what I used to enjoy was locking myself in a pitch black room with all the windows drawn and uh, <laughs> drinking a, and, so and drinking a half gallon of, of vodka until I fell asleep and forgot I was alive. <laughs> what was your brand? Um, I mean, Smirnoff, right? I mean, Smirnoff is pretty, actually che- decent, cheap it's vodka. decent and cheap. This and podcast is not sponsored by Smirnoff. <laughs> no, it's not. Did you ever have Kim- Kimchaka? Yeah. Oh, God. Of course I have. Heck yeah, dude. Uh, I was talking basement. to, I was talking to somebody about that. They're like, Kimchaka, what's that? I'm like, you haven't, you haven't been low enough. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, you've never been in a frat house. Or lowest I've gone is week. lowest I've gone is pop off. That's see pop, which isn't bad. Kimchaka was cheaper than pop off, and pop off was terrible. Pop off tasted like I was putting a can of Lysol to my mouth. I thought it didn't. <sighs> I thought it didn't taste that bad. Alcoholic. But I dig. But I digress. Are you an alcoholic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am. Hate to hate to break it to you. I know. I think I'm pretty grateful actually that like I will say I feel like a lot of people be. I want to go as you'll hear people like, Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm an alcoholic. Like I don't, I don't, I have moments where I feel that way just because it put me into the position that I am now. Yes. Because like short, short of my, short of my using and drinking, like my life was still in shambles. Like I was still just like a, I don't know, like a 16 year old running around in a 30 year old body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I did have the ability to kind of like, okay, like that's a place that I can go to. Those are the people that I can talk to where they're like, you're being an idiot. And I'm like, yeah. let's make a podcast about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I mean, I literally said in a meeting last night that I'm grateful to be an alcoholic because because um, I've always hated myself mm-hmm. and I actually don't today. And I owe that to the fact that like, oh, here's this like my alcoholism has been the single, single biggest issue I've had to deal with my entire adult life. Um, so to take the drastic steps necessary to actually overcome that has forced me to become a better human being and like somebody who I can look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, I'm okay with this guy, you know, like, and I, uh, like even before I started using, you know, I never, I hated myself and I hated being alive and like, I actually do like myself now, which is, I owe that to the fact that I'm an alcoholic. So that's why I, I say that and I actually mean it now, but I, I remember being in detox and uh, and a guy came in who who held the meeting and he was saying about how he was grateful to be an alcoholic. And I remember that making me so angry <laughs> because I was so unhappy to be in the situation that I was in because I just couldn't stop drinking. Like that is like, you know, whatever psychological or neurological thing it is mm-hmm. that makes us the way that we are. Like I just couldn't stop. It's it's funny that you went the, the, the direction of like this this self-loathing like this very like inner hatred where I just yeah. loved myself. Yeah. <laughs> I I was the polar opposite of yeah. you. I was just like, I just don't understand why I can't do whatever I want whenever I want. And yeah. like, I don't understand why people don't just give me things like, yeah. but like in the moment I didn't think that. Yeah. yeah. But like in hindsight, I was like, man, I was like such a little like child. I was a yeah. child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was kind of like that too. Egomaniac with an inferiority complex, you know? Yeah. I used to remember just being everywhere, like, I'm better than you. 
And then yeah. some somehow if I was worse than you, I was like, yeah, I'm worse than you. <laughs> like that's weird. Whatever, still a contest. What, a contest would, pr- would probably winning. would probably be the best the best version of it. Ah, uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, host, what uh, what other questions do you have for? Yeah. What else is going on? <laughs> I mean, I, just listening to you guys talk about that piece of it, I think one of the things that really strikes me about all of the the guys that I get to work with here, um, at some point, it becomes an active conscious choice. You know, like a lot of people come in because they just can't live the way they are anymore. Okay. Yeah. But then at a certain point through the program, it's not just about I can't live that way anymore because it's just not sustainable. And it becomes like I actively want something different, something better, something else. And I think that's another thing that gets lost in the pamphlets. Like, yes, it's so easy to talk about the bad stuff and how awful and hard and the risks in addiction but it's not always very easy to talk about the benefits in recovery. Yeah. From like a real, you know what I mean? From yeah. like a real standpoint. Well, it's, I, I, <clears throat> I don't like the idea of like, so I've been Narcan more times than I can count. I've overdosed more. I don't like where people are like, oh, I don't know. I almost died. It really turned me around. Like that never once, yeah. that never yeah. once phased me. I have overdosed, woken up in the hospital, walked out, went and got dope, shot dope. Like there was death was never like that wasn't a tangible thing that right. like, okay, I, I don't even know, but it is the, it's, it's funny. Like at what point do you buy into what, regardless of where you go, yeah. it, whether it's, yeah. whether it's a support group or rehab, like at some point you're going to be like, all right, I'll buy into this. Like, yeah. and if you don't, you don't, but you're, you're, yeah. that's not what gets you through the door though. At least for me. No. Like I just didn't want to die. I, I was, I could no, I think it was, I could no longer, when I looked, I always had a plan B, always had a plan yeah. B. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting, getting on the bus in Lansing, coming up here, I was high as a kite on that bus and I was still pissed. And yeah. I was like, why am I so angry? Like I'm high, I should be happy. Right. And I was like, because I had like, when I looked forward, it was black. Not that I was going to die or anything, mm. but just that it was like, wow, I really can't think like I have no other moves. Yeah. Like, mm. yeah. Um, I, you know, 20, I was 27. I'm just like, I was just, I, I, I was, I was back in my parents' basement. Like, I was just like, like, there's just, I don't have any more moves. Like exactly what you yeah. said. You know what I mean? Like, this is just, I can't keep doing this. You know, it wasn't really so much that I was afraid to die. I was certainly afraid to die of alcoholism. Yeah. I did want to die. You know, yeah. like, uh, as far as suicidal ideations go and stuff, but I knew that I wasn't going to like, I didn't have the, I wasn't fortunate enough to be an IV user. So it was unlikely. <laughs> so it was unlikely for me to, to die suddenly. You know what I mean? It was going to be a slow, miserable death. So I knew I didn't want that. And I knew I still had ambitions to go somewhere with my life or do something that wasn't completely miserable. And and I just, and like every little, you know, every little angle I tried, tried to play with my life, every little like lie I tried to make to, you know, to make myself, to justify to myself that I was being a better person than I was like, you know, material wise, um, all of that had, had failed and I had no other moves. And I was just, I was finally at a point where I was like, well, I guess just 
because I would look at people in recovery and like in, in AA and stuff like that, which I had been in and out of, in and out of, yep. you know, most of my twenties. Um, like I would look at people like that and I could see that there was something they had that I wanted, but I wanted it like right now. And then it just didn't happen and it didn't happen in sobriety either. And, and that's how I found myself here. Daniel was actually the first person that the first person that I saw at the, at the door, he was working the front desk when I came in and I was like, I was so gung. I was like, I was so gung ho to get sober. I thought I was going to be like the most sober person ever. Like I was so. so I've, I've had that thought before though too. Of like, I'm going to do this the best. It's, I 100 percent thought that. Yeah, that I was like, I am going to crush this. You know. What I mean? <laughs> it's such an interesting mentality, like, because I I talk to a lot of people that are in recovery, and there is that kind of like, I'm an I'm not I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's so like any, anybody that comes back to like, I'm just going to do it harder. Or it's like, I don't even know what that means, (laughs) but it's funny. So the, my, my favorite story about Doug though, is one of, one of Doug's first, I think it was within your first week of being here. It was somehow like we got a game night and it was some type of competition and it was planking. And Doug was like, as he still the teen looked like crap. I I didn't look good. (laughs) And he, and he locked into this plank position and he went way farther than I could plank now. Like, and he just was like shaking like a tree in the wind and just like would not stop. And I was literally, that was the moment I was like, that is awesome. Like just to see some, when you get, when you can see the grit, yeah, like the, the grit of actually being in recovery and then like having it be a physical aspect too. Like, yeah. and I, it was like, that was the perfect like example of a person being like, I'm just going to do this no matter what. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, recently we were talking about giving it your all in the context of working out, but nobody ever gives their all because yeah. they're still here, no, right? I don't. So that idea, <laughs> but like as close to your all as you can possibly get is just being willing to say, I'm just not going to stop. And to your point earlier about, you know, I've been through not great things in recovery and mm-hmm. I've like life, life is just all over the place it's never going to be always good or always bad or anything like that and that's keeping going even through that is such a big testament to what you learned here yeah i can i I, i've asked my mom before it's like something along those questions of just like or maybe she was asking me anyway she was just like daniel do you not think that i want to go home sometimes and just like just like not feel what I'm feeling mm. like yeah. I do, but I'm an adult. And I was just like, I don't understand what that even means. Like, do you have the things to numb yourself? Like there's, there's so many, and I was like, you could, and she's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah. And especially the, I was never able to, in my addiction, say that everyone, right. you could always ask me like, Hey Dan, do you want, do you want to quit shooting dope? And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I just, I so badly want to, I never wanted to. I don't even think I wanted to when I quit. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know what I wanted. I just know I wanted something else. Yeah. And But there's people that I've met in my life, and I have a friend right now that's probably going to go to prison for a long time now because of his things, and he hasn't been sentenced, whatever. But it's that thing of, like, if you asked him, and I have other people ask him, like, do you think you're done? They'd be like, I don't think I'm done yet. Yeah. And I always respected that, like, because I never, I could never be that honest. Well, that's, I mean, honesty is a big part of, like you've mentioned it a couple of times today, but it, it is such a big part, like being truly honest and not judging that honesty. Because sometimes the honest truth 
isn't the thing you want to admit. No. Like sometimes it is the thing that's like, you're not really supposed to say that. Yeah. But that's honest and you don't have to judge all of that honesty. Like admitting, yeah, I didn't really, I I wasn't ready or I didn't really want to, or, you know, I wasn't ready to face all of that stuff and not be numb. Like that's honesty and that's, that can be okay. And I think that's, again, to your pamphlets, like that's another thing that's missing. Like they kind of, it creates this really ridiculous picture of what it's supposed to look like that you have to be this, you know, trifold perfection. And I like how a lot of this is getting centered around a pamphlet, but it's just such a great analogy for everything. Like, and it's everything that like, as we've talked about this podcast and what we really want to do, it's that we want to go past the pamphlet, past that trifold and like talk about what it's really like and what is really possible in sobriety, what it can look like, not boring, not perfection, not this unattainable level of like, well, why would I even want to do that? Cause I don't want to live like that. There's a, there's a certain level of like, I didn't, I was talking to my roommate who's also in recovery, Ryan. And, uh, we were talking about how like our neighbors was like banging away at a party one time. And we're just like, man, like that sounds so miserable. Like, like we're like old men at this point. We're just like, (laughs) I just want my LaCroix. And you know, it's like eight, (laughs) it's eight 38 PM. I just wanted my LaCroix in space time. But I, I was thinking and I was about it like like I wouldn't have been able to do that three years ago. Like it's not like physically yeah. my mind would have been like, dude, you cannot sit still for this long. Yeah. Like it needs you need to be in chaos and like any any program. And I think that's the bonus of a type of program. But I think at the end of the day, it's the relationship and the community that you get from that program that is going to be more beneficial. And I, I think that with the guys here, like I'll tell them this too, like. I think I have a part to play in people's stories, but the majority of the movement in their lives is done by the community and the group that they're in. Yeah. Like I don't have the power. I, I know I don't have the power to, to change somebody. Yeah. I can kind of nudge them this way and that way, but they're stepping into it and they're and the community is kind of like, oh yeah, I'll go, I'll go along with that. Yeah. And then some growth is like really possible. And owning the choices that they've made. I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Like, you have to own that you have the power to make those decisions, yeah. to put yourself in those situations where you can make a difference. And you have to play an active part. To your point, you can get sober anywhere. You can go to any facility and you know decide that you're gonna, people do it all the time. Like people do get sober from other places. I think one of the benefits of Guiding Light specifically and one of the differences is that they're more honest about it not being them. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody from here say that it was them that made this change for any of the people in the program. And I think that is something that gets implied (laughs) by a lot of other places because it's a better marketing strategy, right? Like here, it's really honestly about like, this isn't my life. This is your life. You have to make these decisions. I can put all kinds of stuff in front of you. But at the end of the day, it has to be you picking that opportunity up and actually walking forward with it. And I just think that's special. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it comes from that idea of like, hey, like you're in charge. You're like, that was a new idea to me. Like, like the fact that I had agency was, was like, I was just like, what? Like, I just, I really was kind of, del- I was very delusional. I just thought life kind of happened. Yeah. And I still find it funny. Like I was, I was recently 
my buddy in jail thing. So I've been thinking about like, he took a very different road than I did. Uh, and I was thinking like, man, like I used to, I remember when I first got sober, I had this idea that I was like, man, like I'm not a real junkie. Like I should be like, I should be like carrying nine millimeters and like busting into stores and like robbing people. And for some reason, like that was like, like cool for me. Like, I don't know why I ever thought uh, that I, I get it. <laughs> I wanted to be bad, bro. I do, I do get it. <laughs> and like, because I was like, that's what, like I, I, when I looked at myself, I was like, you're not bad enough. Okay. Because you're not doing what it really takes to live this lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just some crazy thoughts. And I was thinking, I was, I was driving in my car, uh, yesterday and I was like, man, you know, you know, what's even harder to do than like, <laughs> you know, what's even harder to do than go rob a, a store or a drug dealer or something like, I don't know, pay your child support every single day, <laughs> like pay, pay my back. I'm paying back child support. Like the, these things that I thought were like. Like I, I just had a very skewed concept of like what an adult was or what a man was or what a productive person or a parent. Um, I mean, I knew what a junkie was like, I, I did that great. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't a, I was never a, I was just, I was too big of a pansy to be a criminal, to be honest with you. I just, I was just like, I would rather just do drugs. Like, like I would, I was good. I would, I would, I never had to steal much stuff because I would make you give me your drugs. Because I was a great manipulator and I just, people felt so sorry for me. (laughs) You know, what's interesting about you saying that you weren't bad enough is that that's actually a really, it's rooted in brain science. Um, A lot Hmm. of survivors of abuse and domestic violence, um, that's part of my background is in that space. And that's a very common sentiment from them as well is that, well, my abuse wasn't as bad as their abuse. So therefore I'm not really that much of a victim you know and there's this idea that like i don't get to claim my own trauma because it's not as bad as someone else's like that's a very common experience that it sounds like that's kind of what was happening like i don't get to claim all of this other stuff and recognize the situation that i'm truly in because it's not as bad as someone else or i'm not doing as as many things as someone else yeah i mean it was yeah, I never know. I, but that I remember talking to my life coach at the time and I was like, it's like, I don't know. Like really, like, I was like, I don't really, I just, I can chuckle about it now. It's like, I don't think I'm a real junkie, you know, <laughs> like, like Daniel, like, are you, are you, are you shooting up drugs every day? <laughs> Quite often. <laughs> nice. I, <laughs> like I lived in a, I lived in a terrible, like I lived in a trap house with a prostitute up in the top stairs. I had a drug dealer in the back. Like, and it's just like, what more do you want, dude? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, right. but in my mind, it, it was the, the criminal aspect of it was like made you that. Yeah. Um, but I was just a scared kid. Like when you think about people, like I got to hold a gun once. Oh, once. I did. Yeah. No, a guy was like, a guy was like, Hey, like I got to walk out and he was like, I think it was on felony parole or something anyways. And he's like, hold on to this. And I put it, I remember, I remember holding it and I was put it in my back pocket and for like, 45 minutes i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then i and then i gave back and i was like yeah let let me wipe my fingerprints off this all like all like and i was like just in case i was like bro you're (laughs) that might have been why he handed you the gun (laughs) right oh you're not wearing gloves let me hand you this oh i thought i was oh i thought but like that the oh yeah like i was around people that were kind of dangerous but and that made me feel like oh like i I've done enough. Like I've done enough to own this title. Yeah. But I think it's interesting too to think about how a concept like that impacts somebody who's 
making the decision between going into mm. a place like Guiding Light or not. Like if you are not bad enough to actually receive help, you know, because that's what happens. Like I was saying about victims of mm -hmm. domestic violence, that's what happens a lot. Like they won't go to the shelter or they won't access assistance because it's not bad enough. Yeah. You know, I have to, this is my concept of what a real victim looks like. This is my concept of what a real addict looks like, you know, whatever that language looks like. So to come in here and, you know, talking to all the different guys, they're all at different yeah. spaces, right? Different levels, different like experiences, different amounts of time, you know, it's all over the map. And it really doesn't, as long as you're ready to really dive in, that that's the difference it's not about how much time you've spent in addiction yeah. it's not about how many different things you've done or how much criminal history you have like you know it's how bad you are right it's mm -hmm. well and i i hate using words like good and bad which is why well, i'm talking I, to daniel specifically right <laughs> oh fair <laughs> no it's that, that, that's funny that you say that though because it's it's interesting because you'll see people like i went through the program with a lawyer mm -hmm. like this is a free program yeah and, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and like and you're like what <laughs> and then you have people like i i came in with a backpack shoes that were moldy um and that's it and i had like a pair of shorts i still have a pair of shorts that i had when i came through here that a guy actually when i was in jail gave me his shorts in jail it was it, it was he a holding cell situation. He was there for domestic abuse, but oh. he was like, it's the first time it doesn't happen. I was like, you beat your wife. Um, <laughs> but it is there like the I'm I've always been curious of what the barrier is, because yeah. I feel like in like especially when I talk to other like either organizations or programs, things like that, like what is the barrier to getting somebody in? What's mm -hmm. the barrier that they're facing? Um like what is the I think a lot of it a lot of it has to do with where you're from yeah I mean depending I mean it's you could come from a rural well-to-do family and you know like you you drink a six-pack of beer at night and your parents are saying one thing and then you can come from somebody that's smoking crack has been smoking crack for the last 25 years and is like I don't know I'm like a functional crack addict though you know like yeah. I'm only homeless like in the summer yeah <laughs> right yeah. and you know that's a wide shot of people yeah it's still the same problem in my in my experience where it's just I like for me, my thing is like I could not. And this is going back to when I was like 12 years old. I could just not stand being alive with like with like it like once I figured out that I can take things to alter the way that I feel, yeah. it was just off the road. It started with like computer duster. Like literally, you know, when I was like 12 years old, heck yeah. Like, you know, and I'm like, Oh <laughs> wow. Like this makes me feel different. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, and it's not even like I had, I didn't have a bad childhood or anything like that. And it's not like I was really like crazy, not crazy, but like, you know, I was like particularly suicidal or like self-loathing or anything. Like, honestly, no, it was just, I just couldn't like, none of this made sense to me just yeah. being alive, like living and, 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 like it's not even all of it was just like school. It was just, it was just like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. And when I figured out that I could take things that make me feel like, feel differently, I'm like, okay, well this is how I'm going to keep doing it. And you know, that's why as soon as I, 
you know, I did a lot of drugs in high school. And then as soon as I turned 21 and I figured out, oh, I can do, here's a, here's a thing that I can get whenever I want, as long as it's seven in the morning. And, <laughs> and here's this thing that I can get whatever, whenever I want. And all I have to, all I have to, I can just do this by myself. And I, once I start drinking, I can just turn everything off and mm-hmm. I don't got to deal with life. And, you know, I was, I had my first seizure from alcohol with Charles when I was 21. And like, you know, it was just right off to the races. And it's not like, because like, I know alcoholism runs in my family. Like I do probably have some sort of physiological thing with it. You know what I mean? But really the, the problem is not the fact that I drank too much. The problem is that I just have this, like, I just could not deal with life on life's terms, you know? So be it alcohol or I remember when I was on probation, I <clears throat> giving away all the good stories in the first episode. I remember when I was on he probation, good stories. I, when I was on probation uh, and I couldn't drink because I had an alcohol tether on me, um, I switched to drinking cough syrup and Hell yeah. I had a, and I had a, uh, I had a, a, a bed, like a twin bed that I was, li- that I was sleeping on. And in between the bed and the wall was the crevice where I would keep all my bottles, yep. my empty like, booze and stuff like that. And as soon as I started drinking the cough syrup, the booze bottles were gone and it was filled with empty cough syrup bottles because it was just like, that was just a replacement. Yeah. It wasn't even like, yeah. it, it was, it was just, I just had to keep doing something, you know? And I don't know. I, I wasn't a huge fan of drinking until I was on probation and they drug tested me and it was yeah. easier for me to get, a, it was easier yeah. for me to get away with drinking. Yeah. But to your point, like, I think it's, I remember that idea, like the realization that there's something in the world that I can ingest and I change. That was mind boggling to me. The fact that I could walk around school and have pills in my pockets and like, I could just middle of class, just take one and I could change how I felt. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is, this is what I want to do. Like I had a, (laughs) I had a, a pill dictionary in high school. Yeah, I had friends with those. <laughs> yeah, and like so, people would come to me with their pills, like, "Hey, what pill is this?" And like, I could tell you what pill it was, yeah. like, just because I, I just the, the fact, the fact that you could take this external thing and change yeah. internally was was mind boggling to me. And I, yeah, oh, yeah, robo tripping. I'm about it, dude. Not anymore. I was, I was heavily about it for a while. It was just, I, I didn't even. I, did you, did you enjoy it? Not really. No, me neither. <laughs> I did it. I did. I did it a lot for not enjoying it. Right. Yeah. It was too. Yeah. I. There was a. But that. That's the thing too. There was a multiple times in my life where like I've done substances. It wasn't the substance that I wanted, but it was the substance that I had. Yep. Like when you're dope sick, don't shoot crack. Hmm. Did I do no that good. every time that I could? <laughs> like if if it's what I had, it's what I had. Yeah. And in my head, I'd be like. Oh, this is just gonna make it ten times worse. I'd be like, <laughs> as I'm mixing it in yeah, a spoon, yeah, like, yeah. and it's just like, dude, seriously, like, and I'd be sitting there, like, yeah, I don't know, like, I'll figure it out after, yeah. whatever that was and whatever after was, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of it kind of goes back to something that we talked about a little bit ago, like the idea of the risks not being enough. No, like there has to be something because you know what you're doing. You're not even necessarily enjoying what you're doing, but it's. I just need something to be different and I don't know any other way at this point. Mm -hmm. It's the, I like the whole idea of like at some point pain is only pain's only going to push you so far. Yeah. And then something has to pull you forward. Mm -hmm. Also, I just want to say you're being a great host. (laughs) (laughs) And that's something that pulls you forward. (laughs) I'm not going to say it. 
What? It's a guiding light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a great first episode, guys. I actually am being honest. Thank you for. Oh, uh, thank you for your honesty. Uh huh. No, this was, uh, this was this was fun. Don't. <laughs> Don't. What? What do you say? She's I she's throwing in your focus vulnerability points. Right there. No vulnerability. You can cut that out. There's no cutting. Well, what? thanks everybody for listening. If you are. <laughs> if you made it this yeah, far. Yeah, if you made it this far. Thanks for sticking with if us. You're, if you're genuinely out there and don't know if you want recovery, though, just, just know that there are there are other people. Like, there is more to that than this. There's more to this than that. I was trying to be smart there. But mm-hmm. uh, but it's genuinely, like, if you're ready, ask somebody. If you're not ready, look what resources there are. Like, be safe. I'm a huge Daniel, me, huge advocate for harm reduction. Like, yeah. can I can I say stuff mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Um, I high well no, just I, I highly support needle exchanges and Narcan yeah. training Same. and all that yeah. stuff. Like I want those resources to be in the community. Did you hear there's a new Narcan vending machine up in Muskegon? No, really? Yeah. That's awesome. They just put one in like a month or two ago. They've like a free Narcan vending machine up in Muskegon. That's what I, I have like thirty boxes at my house because cool. I got I if you need it, let us know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, me. but yeah, so reach out to somebody and especially just just be safe regardless of what you're doing because yeah. you're worth every breath that you take regardless of what you do with your life. Like, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Have and, fun. I mean, if you if yeah. you want to get more involved in like learning more about the stories and everything, there's yeah. social media. We're at Guiding Light. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you can go to www.guidinglightworks.org. You can check out our uh our blog. Uh, if you're interested in donating, you can also do that there if you want. You can um, randomly find me on Reddit if you can find me. <laughs> yeah, if you can find my username, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. There's a Waldo um, in it. That's all I'll give you. Oh, well, that's good to know. Um, and if you are, uh, and and if you or someone you know uh, is looking for serious substance abuse treatment uh, provided at no cost to them, um, this place, act- I mean, this. Uh, it's my job to sell this place, so I have a difficult time being earnest about how much it actually saved my life. Do you want um, me to? Sure. <laughs> I will say this. This is something I say often is that I think I probably would have gotten sober at some point if I, would have, if I wouldn't have died in a car accident or something like that. But um, I don't think I would have gotten sober as young as I did if it wasn't for this place. And 27 is not that young either, but like... You know, when I got sober, I don't, I didn't want to be like, um, this is like you, I always say that we kind of expedite the process here. If you're not serious, go out. I don't know if I should say this, but like, if you're not serious and you get kicked out of here, you'll probably relapse like right longer than it probably, you probably would have stayed sober out there, but then it just gets it out of the way. And if you are serious, you actually have a decent chance at like figuring this stuff out, you know, the, so like when you talked about as like children growing up, like never feeling okay. And that like that yeah. early desire to change how I felt like when I came here, like I got it. I knew that there were places that could help me stop shooting dope, stop drinking booze. Like I knew those places. The big thing that this place helped me was like, do you want to live your life differently? Like, yeah. like, do you yeah, want, a, like, do you want to live your life differently? And I got here and luckily I was in a position where I didn't have anywhere else to go. Like nowhere. So I like I and I'm happy I was in that position. But at the end of the day, like if you want to live your life differently, this is a good place to at least look into where, again, there's thousands of places around the 100%. world. Especially but, if you've tried 
yeah. getting sober before because there might be more to it, right? Like just giving up substances or, or using so or whatever. It, yeah. it, that's one piece of it. And I think that is one big difference here. If you've tried other things or if you've, you know, that hasn't really worked for you, then this might be a place to look into because it does go over so many different things. It does encompass so much different stuff. And the aftercare is a lot different yeah. here than it is at, at most places. Like I, I consistently work with people after they've finished the meat of the program. Yeah. You know, I, that's when I start working with people to build a life in sobriety that's not boring and I mean, we're also just, mm -hmm. I mean, short of Debbie and a, and a few of the other female staff here, like we're just a, we're just a group of good looking dudes and good moods, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Doug is thinking about how much he has to cut at the end of this. <laughs> I'm not cutting anything. Well, also Doug, Doug is, so me and Doug play on a softball team and, and my nickname shorts because I wear running shorts that are extremely short. And on the good looking part, Doug's nickname is Hot Doug. <laughs> So that's true. That is hot dug in shorts. It's yeah. not because I'm attractive. It's because I, uh, we had a cookout and I ate like, eight oh yeah, dogs. I forgot why we even that's called why. you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, right okay. before game, didn't we? Hot. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah, like, hot dog. Like, hot big dog, time. Hot like dog. not. <laughs> that's fun. Anyway. Well, this thing just died. So, oh, okay. Perfect. All right. Whoa. Look at that. Oh uh, yeah. Crushed it. All right. Thank, thank you, HP, you know? Sure. <laughs> Sponsored right. by HP. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, guys.